This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title. The 2021 Derby Champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. And welcome to A's Cast Live. That's right. We are here getting you ready for the A's and the Texas Rangers. Hard to believe. We are finally starting to close in on the first half of the season. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to have my man, Bip Roberts, uh, a long extended conversation with the former all-star, the kid from Oakland, the guy that uh, once played for your Oakland athletics and was part of the record that was set last night in Texas. Pretty cool. So we'll have Bip Roberts. We'll have, Dave Feldman is going to join us. Feldy is going to be here for another top 10 as it's going to be top 10 first half performances. That is going to be at 325. Biff Roberts is going to be at three o'clock. And then Tom Grieve from the Texas Rangers is going to be here at 230. It's been years since we've had Tom on, but uh, what a good man. Can ask him, obviously, about our guy Ray Fossey as uh, he was very close with Ray Fossey commander last night was uh, a historic night. And it was as Dave Feldman was just doing the high five outside of this room here at NBC sports, California. He sent me this. I don't know if you know this or ACE fans know this, but the eight runs in the 12th inning yesterday tied an Oakland record for runs in extra innings. Happened back in 1998 at Cleveland. They scored eight in the 10th, and Bip Roberts actually had a bunt single in that inning. But the eight runs last night in the 12th inning tied an Oakland record for runs in an extra inning, uh, in extra innings game. And wow, when we talk about lack of runs scored throughout the season for the A's, the fact that they put up 14 on the Rangers, and it looked bad too, right? Lou Trevino gives it up, and here we go with Lou Trevino again, and here we go with the bullpen. And I could just, if you're reading my mind, I think, if you really know me, Commander, what do you think happened in this game that truly fried me? 
that I just went, you got to be kidding me. Uh, besides the length of the game? No, not the length <laughs> of the game. Okay, that would be not. Okay, let's take the length of the game. It actually happened in the game. A decision was made with a player, and I'm leading you to it oh. where I just went, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to assume you're talking about Cap going out after only five innings. And oh 70 pitches. My God. I'm trying to get <laughs> Oakland in here. Let me get, get, I'm trying to get, I'm still feeling my way in this studio. How is it possible where we are in this season? You're almost 30 games under 500. We have dubbed this the year of discovery. We all know that it's the year of discovery, right? Correct. You got James Caprillian who has an Oakland record of 24 straight starts of six innings or less. This is not the kind of record you want to be having. And you got this record? And you're getting pulled with 70 pitches after five innings? I mean, pitchers give up runs. That's okay. You can give up two or three runs. That's... We can't be in this world where you give up a couple runs and it's panic and you got to take a guy out. I haven't seen any reports. We'll find out. I mean, we're still hours from the game, but how are you getting pulled at 70 pitches? I mean, this is midseason, man. We're not talking about the lockout anymore. We're not talking about how he couldn't start the season. You've got to be able to throw more than 70 pitches. And you know, you're 28 years old. You're in the prime of your career. We can't get more than five and 70 from you. And and they feel so. This is on somebody. E- either you got to be you got to be cap, and you want to you got to say something, or this is the coaching staff or the front office telling you how they feel about you. There's a problem when. This game was not for you to go to the playoffs. Am I wrong? I don't know. Were, were the A's, did this game have playoff implications? Uh, unfortunately, it did not. Uh, well, it's hey, as they would say, still a lot of season left. It, it could mean something down the road. But okay. no, it doesn't mean anything right now. Left. I'll, I'll take that, counselor. <laughs> I'll take that into consideration. Uh, we're, we're, hey, by the way, you're dying to get to this bullpen? Yeah. Do I need to read the bullpen numbers to you again? We're dying to get to this bullpen. Why is Caprillian going 70 pitches? I don't care if he gave up 20 runs. This guy needs to go out and give us six, seven innings. He needs to get into the seventh inning. This means in the seventh inning, he just needs to get one out to get rid of the streak. One out in the seventh inning. Five and 70 is not getting it done. That is a travesty. I have no idea what's going on. I doubt anybody's going to ask it. Uh, they're on boots on the ground. We'll find out maybe, and maybe we can ask something later. But by the time – this is our last show before the break, right? Correct, it is. So we won't be able to ask it. But, man, that was an issue that, that really ruffled me. Like, what are we doing? But in the end, they got the victory. Chad Pender – We'll talk about it later today with Bip Roberts. I don't know. Are you are, are you on my side or where are you on? Can we just let Pender play every day? You can move him around because obviously you love to do that. 
can we just see him in the lineup every day or or just on a on a more consistent basis obviously people do need days off but act like just see what you got see if he you know he's 30 years old i mean you you've kept this guy from that opportunity once again you're almost 30 games under 500 why not watch him play every day i'm with you on that but real quick with going back to cap i went and looked up on his his splits in 2022 on baseball reference uh the, his first inning ra is 2.57 Good. Second inning, 1.93. Good. Third inning, 554. Fourth inning, 426. Fifth inning, 635. Sixth inning, 20.25. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they were pulling him out of the game. And and trust me, we've talked about that in the notes before. If you feel that way, then you need to not have him be a starter. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, maybe. Right. That's where we're at. If you're telling me, oh, my God, we're getting into the fourth and fifth inning, it's panic time, panic button, send the missiles, panic, panic, then you can't start him. Then yep. you have to you have to say, which, which, by the way, this bridge guy is becoming, on good teams, becoming a super, super valuable guy. A.J. Puck last night, valuable. Sneed, who has not had a good year, but those two strikeouts that he got, in the in the eleventh inning, were absolutely huge. But the bridge guy now in a regular nine inning game, that bridge guy who's coming in sixth, seventh, maybe even eighth, maybe that's that maybe that's Cap's best role. If you're telling me that I'm panicking after seventy pitches, I can't have him as a starter. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think he would be he would be a great bridge guy. If you, but if you have a guy in your system that you're ready to call up to be a starter, and I don't think that we're there yet. I mean, we've seen Adrian Martinez as a variety. We've seen Zach Logue, but they're back in AAA again, and Jared Koenig's back up now. But I don't think right now the organization they view as they have a guy right now that's ready to take a spot in the rotation where they can maybe do something like that with Cap, where we've seen it with A.J. Puck, where I've mentioned before that he'd be perfect in the um, Andrew Miller, jo- oh, not even Josh Hader, but just the Andrew Miller role of coming in, pitching multiple innings, and being a – bridge guy to your closer or being like hater he pitched multiple innings and shut him down like he did last night now I know hater's been struggling a little bit this year the last like week or so but and he's not going to be in the all-star game because he's on the bereavement list but I've I liked what I saw from puck last night same with Kirby senior right so I think Cap's biggest thing is he needs to go longer in the games but I but I don't know if they have that they're ever going to take that leash off of him it's not like he's a young guy either I mean he's he's 28 years old he's gonna be he'll be 29 next March so it's not like he's a guy in his second big league year, pitching at 24 years old, he's 28, and you know he's had Tommy John already. He's had the long, you know, long road to get here. I, I'm with you. I think that they need to either let him go or put him in a bridge spot and and maybe call somebody else up in the minor leagues that you trust to let him go is a little strong. Yeah, but let him yeah. go longer. Yeah, like let him let him go longer in games. Okay. Is what I mean, yeah, just want to. No, 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 not 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 like let him go, like trade him. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, whoa, that's a little strong, little hot take there, Cody. The the most uh, pitches he's thrown in a game so far this year was he threw ninety nine on his second start of the year, uh, which the eight which the A's lost one nothing to the Twins in Minnesota. So his first well, start back ninety nine pitches, he went five and two thirds. I somewhere here have a graphic. That something that uh, Nick, who does production here at NBC Sports California, the great Chelsea will be doing tonight. Uh, Nick will be doing the show. It's fun doing all this, by the way, Cody. I like doing all this. It's like fun. It's like I miss doing the postgame show. Like last night, I'm like, oh, my God, there's things I could have had a lot of fun with last night. 
but uh, doing the TV part for this and on NBC Sports California, it's fun for a couple days. Um, starting pitchers, average pitch count. Where do you think it was in 2000? Uh, probably around like 90, 95. It was 98.6. Okay, so cl- closer to 100, obviously. 98.6. Where now it dipped all the way. Where do you think it dipped to? The lowest since 2000. It dipped during the COVID season. Makes sense. 60 games. You're getting what? Well, who led the starts? What was it? 11, 12 starts you got was the most yeah, you got? I think it was either uh, Trevor Bauer or Shane Bieber. Maybe got 13 in tops. I, I think both of them got around 13, the Cy Young winners yeah. that year. 11, 12, 13. That was, you know, if you started, you stand on rotation, stayed hurt, that's where you're at. Um, what do you think the average pitch count for a starter in the COVID year was? 60 games. Uh, pitch counts uh, 80, 81. It was 80.3, so you were close. But you think like, okay. It's back up, right? Got to be back into the 90s. I don't care about the lockout. Come on, lockout. These guys were working out the whole time during the lockout. We know that. They told us that. We know they were working out. The pitch count for 2022, the average pitch count. 2000 was 98.6. The average pitch count today is 84.5. From what I saw um, when Jeff Passan had the death of the starting pitcher article, which came out almost a week ago, there's only two guys in baseball that are logging over 100 pitches per game. That's our guy, Sandy, Alcantara, or Alcantara, whatever. Say Cr- Alcantara. Alcantara and Corbin That's Burns. That's what Marlins play-by-play guys call him. We've checked, right? Yeah. Um, and then Corbin Burns is at 100. Have you sent the email yet to Marlins PR? I have not, but I will get on that. Um, okay. So those two, Sandy at 101. And Corbin Burns at 100. Those are the two guys as of last week that, that log over 100 innings per or 100 pitches per start. I remember Eno had a Eno Saris had it in his article that there was only like one guy or something. Uh, this is a while ago that was going over 90, and it was probably Sandy because he's been on a roll. I mean, he's been he's gone over seven innings. I forget how many times it is now, like 12 12 straight starts or something, or he's gone over um, seven innings pitched. It's truly remarkable what he's doing. But yeah, the the 80. What do you say it was 84? That's that's not good for the sport at all. It's just not. And uh, what I saw last night with Cap going 70 was just like, wow. It's just wow. And, and you know, it would be one thing if you're, you've got this lockdown bullpen, right? You got one of the best bullpens in the game, but you don't. It's like you keep playing this playbook that doesn't work. You know, I mean, to take it to another sport, it's like we run off tackle off the right side and everybody knows that. And everybody, every single time you run the play, gets stopped. And you, We're going to keep running it no matter what. We'll put different linemen in there, different running backs, but this is the play we run. And we do it over and over and over again. And it doesn't work. You know, short starts, more bullpen has not led to success for the A's. Has not. I mean, all you got to do is go to the box score of last night's game, which I am doing as we speak. It's one of the reasons why I'm noticing Cody now, just to let everybody know that we're not able to use our normal cameras for this show. 
So I'm having to do this off my laptop. So I'm going to be working on the laptop. I like it better when I can have the laptop over here and the cameras on you. So I just want to let people know that. But looking at last night, I mean, are you telling me we're, we're really jumping to get to a bullpen that's got uh, Pruitt closed it out with a 5.09 ERA. Sneed came up big, but he's got a 6.63. Jackson's got a 3.09. And Lou's got a 7.11. Even Puck, who you gush over, has jumped all the way to 2.43. Normally, 2.43, you'd be like, hey, Townie, that's pretty good. But it was at like 0.70 at one point. Yeah, it so was on up way. I mean, so I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, Acevedo, who you've used a ton. I don't know. Unless you're trying to move guys at the deadline and you're trying to show that these guys can get outs. I mean, looking at their numbers there, it's just common sense that says you don't rush to get to these guys. Yeah. And I have the stats right here. If you look at the bullpen overall. Uh, the A's have the second-highest bullpen ERA in baseball at 4.32. Uh, Blue Jays are close. Um, we can get to them in a little bit because they made some news today. Well, uh, yeah, we should get to them because that's actually the – but go ahead, quickly. 16 blown saves. Uh, they've allowed 148 walks. That's the second most in the American League behind only the the Royals. So the bullpen hasn't been good. A.J. Puck has been solid. He has that ERA under three. That's something the bank – he's actually under two and a half. But, um, yeah, the Blue Jays made a lot of news today. And uh, they stole the thunder from NHL's free agency period. It was like 12 minutes in the free agency. Canada's making all these all these moves, you know, Ottawa and, and Edmonton. And then all of a sudden, the Blue Jays make some news with uh, the announcement of their let, they let go of Charlie Montoya, their manager. And they're actually 46 and 42. They're not struggling. They're struggling a little bit, but they're not bad like the Angels and Phillies were. Well, it's going to what I've been saying. This whole this the, the whole baseball mentality of you got to let it breathe. You got to got to give it time. Time is running out. People don't have time. The game is changing and we need people to be competitive and we need people to win. And the old school baseball mentality is slowly but surely in so many different ways business-wise, on-field-wise is being ushered out. It really is. People don't have time. People don't want to hear the excuses. They don't want to hear it. Perform. You're, this is this is a performance-based business like any other business. And now people are getting called on it faster than it's ever happened before. In other sports, in other sports, they already do it. But once again, baseball is already, already behind. I mean, you'll hear all the time, ah, he's a good baseball man. I don't even know what that means. He's a good guy and he works in baseball. He's a good baseball man. It's a cliche. Let me tell you something. If you're running a company and your stocks are bombing, guess what? The board's going to throw your ass out as CEO. You're going to be gone because they're not going to sit there and watch you just lose money and lose money and lose money and go, hey, he's a good C he's a good CEO man. You ever hear that? You know, if you have a business that's struggling, they're not going to go, he's a good GM man. Oh, uh, well, good baseball man. I usually no? hear good businessman. Fired. You're going to get fired. And that's where that, you know, look, Joe Madden, you lost 14 straight. This team's sinking. We've heard enough. You're out. And 
I don't know much about Charlie. Seemed like a good dude. Came from the uh, he was on the race coaching staff under Cashy. That's where he came from. Yeah, well, seems like a good guy, but guess what? You're 500 for four seasons, 236 and 236, and they've got a uh, they've got high expectations, and they want to win, and the team has not lived up to what they thought the year was going to be, and right now you're in a super competitive division, and you're 46 and 42. We're going to read something to you today, too, that's really alarming. I sent to Cody last night the, about the pitchers going into this draft. I mean, it's alarming scary, the amount of injuries we are dealing with with the pitchers in this draft and how many of these guys, it's either, it's like no one has a clean medical record. It's like either Tommy John, shoulder surgery, buyer B where i mean i I, you know it's it it it, well we'll get into that a little bit later but i you know i'm starting to understand it more and more and you know people don't want to let somebody have four or five years to figure it out and you know think about the hierarchy in a business right the general manager usually is going to get what two managers you're usually going to get two. You're not going to usually get three. Like if you've gotten three, if, you, if it takes you three managers to figure it out as a general manager, man, you got, I mean, there's very few organizations like ours that you're going to have the same people in place in all these different positions forever for, you know, I mean, that's, that's what makes Oakland super special and loyal. And, you know, in a lot of ways from the, from the baseball standpoint, it's kind of run like a mom and pop shop, right? It's it's loyalty. It's people been around for a long, long time. It's really, really cool. But in the rest of the regular sports world, it's not run like that. I mean, look at the Golden State Warriors. I can just, can you imagine a regular old school baseball person trying to break down how the Golden State Warriors did it? Think about this. Just, just, just think about it. Mark Jackson was successful. Mark Jackson came in, changed the culture. Under Mark Jackson, Steph Curry became one of the greatest players of all time. That Clay Thompson and Steph Curry became the greatest backcourt of all time. And that all happened. They became a defensive club. They became... A, a winning club, a playoff, perennial playoff set up to be a perennial playoff team. And what did Joe Lacob and the rest of the brats, Bob Myers and everybody, what did they come up with? Fire Mark Jackson. How do you think regular old school, he's a great baseball man, baseball people would have done? What 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 would they have been comfortable with, Cody? If I put you in the shoes of somebody who's been in the game, I've been in this game for 30 years, and you know, and the way that you know all the all the stuff that we hear has to happen to be successful. What would a non-progressive, forward-thinking Look at the back of the baseball card. He's a great baseball man. What would they have done with the Golden State Warriors at that time? Oh, they would have kept Mark Jackson. Because Why? He, because he was winning already, and he's a good ba- – he, he's a basketball legend, good basketball man. 
have been um, a broadcaster, yeah. player, great with the media. Everybody loves him. Everybody thinks well, he's a spiritual man. I mean, they would have come up with, I mean, the amount of stuff that yeah. they would have <laughs> came up with. And then now, now we know it's easier. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but now it's a lot easier to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes. But yeah, they would have been like, "Ah, oh, he's a good baseball man. Keep him." You know, it takes time. It takes time. You got to let this thing develop. You got to. Nope. They said this guy is not getting us to the next level. He's not the guy. We see it. We'll bite the bullet because it's not going to be popular. What the hell has Steve Kerr ever won? But Steve Kerr impressed. They believed Steve Kerr to could take their business to the next level. Did that decision work or not? Uh, they've won four titles since Steve Kerr took over. Correct. Um, remember, he also won how many titles as a player? Five. And he was also a general manager that was very successful with the Phoenix Suns. They almost went to the NBA Finals. I mean, with Steve Nash and Amar Sotomayor and Mike D'Antoni, they were very successful. Then he stepped down, became a broadcaster. Then he became a head coach. They won four titles. There was two years where they, you know, there were down years where the Warriors, you know, Steph was hurt and no no Kevin Durant was gone and Clay was hurt. But what they've been able to do and change the culture for the Golden State Warriors, where people didn't even know where the hell Golden State was 10 years ago. Uh, you know, maybe people might say, oh, yeah, I was watching when the We Believe Warriors won. No, you weren't. No, people, oh, yes, we were. They were no, popular. No, what are no, you talking about? No, no I'm, not, I'm talking about people. The what are you talking about? They were popular. They're, you can mean the ratings for for in this building, which was at that point Comcast Sportsnet? No, I'm not talking about here. I'm talking nationally. No one paid oh, attention no, to the no, Warriors. No, no. Their ratings that first series against the Mavericks yeah. were off the charts. But I'm talking about other than that, no one's watching the Warriors. I'm pre- just calling you on what's going on. You have not. You weren't even. Were you even in? Were you? In, no. Were I, you even in first the Bay year, area for the We Believe Warriors? I was a senior in high school. Yeah, exactly. Take your Pittsburgh. You don't know just because you produced a sports talk show host. Sports talk show talk warrior. You don't know. Yeah, I don't. Well, it's, they I, were very popular. I, by I, the way. I, I've only known that the Warriors were successful all those years I worked at, in radio. The Warriors, all they do is win championships. So the, the point is, what was happening in Toronto, we don't know. We know he had success. We know he's 500 as a manager. But something, something was going on. Something that they felt that this guy has gotten us to, to a level if we want to, I mean, let's face it, Cody, you got the Yankees, you got the Red Sox, you got the Rays. I mean, if you get to a point where you think, hey, we got all this great young talent, we've spent money, we're spending money, this is the, you know, if we're going to get over the hump, we need a new guy leading the ship. Do you blame him for the move? But once again, we don't even, we don't cover the Blue Jays. We don't know exactly what's going on, but to fire a guy, before the All-Star break, more than past the midway point, I think something's going on. But it's telling you we need a different voice if we want to get to where we want to get to. I agree with that. And if you look at their stats, you know, purely, Vlad Guerrero is not having the year that everyone expected him to have. He's still having a decent year. But a lot of their guys aren't having big years. Jose Barrios, who they gave a seven-year, $131 million extension to, uh, how can I put it uh, nicely? He stinks so far this year. He's seven and four with a five thirty eight ERA and eighteen starts. 
after signing that mega deal. Now, he was good last night for them in their win um, against the Phillies, but that's it. Like, you're not getting much out of him. Kevin Gosman's been pretty good, but, I mean, you're banking on the free agent signings and the guys that were good for you last year to be good. Ryu's hurt. Your bullpen is has the third highest ERA in baseball and um, in the American League. Like, they have a lot of struggles on their team right now, and they're hoping maybe a change will fire them up because look at the Phillies. The Phillies got rid of Girardi, brought in their bench coach, and he's doing well, and you know, Snyder's going to be the new bench or the new interim manager for the Blue Jays. It's not working for the Angels. They're 11 and 20. They have the same record as the Pirates right now, 38 and 50. That's going over well in my household, by the way. That, that's, that, <laughs> that's a whole different. That's a whole different ball game. But the Blue, that's, a, the, that, that's a mess, no matter what. And you mentioned the Blue Jays playing have to play the Yankees and, and the Rays and the Red Sox. Baltimore's two games behind them in the wild card race. The Mariners just tied them today with the Mariners win. The if the season ended today, they'd be tied for the final wild card spot. No one, no and one. By saw the way, by the way, our friend of the program, Brandon Hyde. Let me tell you something. If they finished in last place with a bad year, like they were, I don't know, thirty 50, games like under five hundred. I was gonna say fifty-two and one oh, like one ten or something. There was a good chance he wouldn't be brought back. No, oh, for sure. No. Remember. He kind of indicated to that to us, the manager of the Blue Jays, which we had on K, on A's Cast Live. Once again, this is where you come for baseball, just not for A's. You come here for all Major League Baseball. We had the manager of the Orioles on from Santa Rosa, and he mentioned, remember, he was like, we got to start playing well. We got to start playing. He, he kind of intimated, intimated to us that they – things had to be a little bit different, right? Did, I got that vibe. Did you get that vibe? Oh, for sure. Because the, he right. knew the direction of what the, where the team wanted to go. And they weren't playing. They were okay then. They're not playing as well as they are right now. But we knew how good their pitching was. But, yeah, I got, he, I got that vibe for sure. He knew, if, he knew if they stunk it up, he was going to be looking for a job. Yeah, and now you look at it. Here's a stat. I don't know if you saw this or not. This is from ESPN Stats and Info. The Orioles are looking to win 10 straight games in a season for the first time since September of 1999. The only team with a longer active drought with a double-digit win streak in a season is the Marlins, who've never had one. The Marlins have never won 10 or more games in a season before. No, they've won two World Series and both yeah. were off wild cards, <laughs> yeah. for God's sakes. I mean, it's the way, you know. Here are the Seattle Mariners. Think about this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Seattle Mariners are the only team never been to a World Series. They're the only team. They've never been to a World Series. Yet the Marlins have been to two World Series. They've won two World Series, and both times they were the wild card. I mean, 
it's unbelievable that the Mariners have still, after all these years, Hall of Fame players, great players, terrific teams, um, and never even forget winning, right? Because they're still you still got you still got the Brewers, Padres, Mariners. Who else hasn't won a World Series? Uh, let me think real quick. Um, there's not a lot of a lot of the East Coast teams already won one. The Nationals, everybody's, won. everybody's won yeah. one. Uh, the the Nationals won one. Yeah. Uh, who who'd you say again? Rays. Brewer. It's Brewers, Padres, Rangers. Rangers, Mariners, four? Yeah, sounds like so far, yeah. And only the Mariners are the team that's never been to the World Series. Are you calling Grieve? Yeah, I am. Uh, by the way, Mariner, who's hotter right now, Mariners or Baltimore? They both won nine in a row. Uh, I'm going to say Baltimore. They had lower expectations. They're, they're, they're the story. They're, yeah. they're like no one's even paying attention to the Mariners. Everybody, this Baltimore thing, like last night, um, driving home on Sirius XM, driving home from here, from San Francisco last night, what were they talking about? The Baltimore Orioles. Baltimore Orioles have captured the attention of the game. Why? Because they're a historic franchise. I mean, this is a fran- the Baltimore is one of the great franchises, and they've been so down. Tom knows what I'm talking about as he played for years and has been in this game for a long time. I mean, it's been a really good story. Tom, great to have you back on A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing fine, Chris. Thanks for having me back. You know, we were just talking about the Baltimore Orioles and how, you know, they're kind of uh, at a point grabbing the attention of everybody in the game. I mean, as somebody that's you've done everything in this game and knowing about the Oriole way back in the day, isn't baseball better when the Orioles are competitive and doing well in the game? Well, you go back a long time and, you know, I go back to having played against Brooks Robinson and seeing the Oriole team with Mark Belanger at shortstop and Dave McNally and Jim Palmer. So, you know, I remember the Orioles when they were the best in the business and then over the years, they've had some really good teams too. Of course, Cal Ripken, his career spanned a lot of really good teams. And I agree. I, I like to see the Orioles make a comeback like that. And it's funny how these things happen with teams like the Orioles. It, it kind of sneaks up on you, and you don't see it happening. But that's because player development and scouting is such an inexact science, and it's not in the forefront. But over time, they've had some good drafts. They've developed some kids, and all of a sudden, they win a couple of games. The young kids are playing good, and they get excited, and they – they have a good thing going. They've got some camaraderie and some karma, and all of a sudden they've won nine straight games, and everybody's going, whoa, how did that happen? That <laughs> same thing happened with Houston a few years back. They lost 100 games three straight years, and they've been on top ever since. So ba- baseball's a funny game, but it, it goes back to the basics. It goes back to the fundamentals. If you scout well and you develop well and you give your own players a chance to play in the big leagues, develop them that way, uh, that's the recipe for success, and I haven't really studied the Orioles this year, but I would guess if you went through their roster, you'd see a lot of homegrown players. You know, we think about your great career. You're in the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. You're dubbed Mr. Ranger back in the day. 
I mean, everything as a player, a GM, a broadcaster. I, I know about your great relationship with Ray Fossey. And recently we played one of your old interviews that you did with Ray. And, and we know that this is going to be your last year. When you start thinking about your career, the Texas Rangers, what the what the affiliation with the franchise has meant to you and your life and your family, just uh, what has it been like all these years with the Rangers for you? Yeah, it's tough to summarize that question in, in a minute or so, but the thing, one of the things that's meant the most to me, except for one year in 1978, I think it was, when I played for the Mets, I've been in this franchise going back to the Senators before the Senators became the Rangers for just about 55 out of my 56 years in baseball. So having been able to be part of the same organization basically my whole career has been very meaningful to me. My kids were all raised here in Texas. We've never had to move because of a change in team or anything like that. All our friends are here and going to the ballpark every day and looking back on, on my life in baseball, knowing I've been in one place with the Rangers, uh, for some reason that means a lot to me. Well, it should because your career has been – uh, incredible. And, you know, knowing your son who played for the A's, you could tell he was raised right. And it's been a good life for you guys there in Texas. And I have to think with this new ballpark, just the way the franchise is set up now and set up for the future, as you are retiring, I think you have to feel good about the direction of where the Texas Rangers are going as an organization. Oh, no doubt about it. They, They've been down for the last four or five years, but you hit the nail on the head with this new stadium. The temperatures in Texas the last week and for the next week have been anywhere from 102 to 105. And when you think about the old ballpark, it was a beautiful ballpark. I think it's probably even a more beautiful ballpark than this one, but it's hard to imagine and hard to expect fans to come out when it's 105 degrees and sit in the sun for several hours to watch a ball game. So now with this new stadium, air conditioned, it's absolutely beautiful. The Rangers are positioned to be able to compete with any team in baseball economically with their, with their revenues. They've spent some money in the last season to sign Marcus Semien and Corey, uh, Corey Seeger. Uh, they signed John Gray pitching tonight against the A's. It's not the final product yet. But they've got the third pick in this draft. They had the second or third pick last year. They continue to develop their farm systems gone from, you know, in the, in the high 20s ranked to I think it's ranked maybe somewhere in the top 10 right now. So good things are going on right now. And, and I got a, I've got a feeling in a couple of years, whenever it is, that the Rangers get back on top and compete for a division championship and go to the postseason and maybe go to the World Series again, that that'll sneak up on people, too. But when you're here watching it every day, it's not here yet, obviously. It's not a finished product. There's a lot of work to do. But you can see the, you can see the groundwork for it being laid. And I, do, I agree with you that as I'm getting out and I look at the franchise right now, I think better things are ahead for sure. Do you like what baseball is doing right now here in the middle of summer when you have no football, you have no basketball, you have no hockey, you've got the sports world, the team sports world to yourself. 
we're now lumping all this stuff together, whether you're talking about it's going to go futures game, then we're going to have home run derby, then we're going to have the all-star game, then we're going to have the draft, then we're going to have the trading deadline. It's like baseball is going to be able to make all this news really before football training camp starts. They've lumped it all together. I'm not sure general managers love this, but you were a GM. How do you like this for the game of baseball and for getting the game in the spotlight? I love it. I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think it gives fans a chance to see the best of baseball, the best players play in the all-star game, the best young players play in the future game, then the future of the game, which is the draft happening all at the same time. I think it's a fantastic plan. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to I'm going to have the honor of representing the Rangers at the draft on Sunday out in Los Angeles. My son Ben is going to come with me. We're going to sit at the table and help the Rangers make the first pick. We're not, we're not going to do it ourselves, but they're going to tell yeah. us what to what to say and who that pick is going to be. So I've never done that before, and I'm really looking forward to it. Getting getting out there and seeing all the festivities. It's, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to do it, but. You know, as you described everything that's going on over the next week, I think it's fantastic. I'm all for it. I love it. So you're saying you and Ben are not going to sit there and go rogue and pick whoever you want, you're the guy that you want? <laughs> we talked about that, but I don't think that would be a – I don't think that would be the way that I want to put the exclamation point on my legacy as a Ranger. Oh, that would be funny. But, yeah, I mean, what a great honor. And when you talk about Ben, of course, being Rookie of the Year and an all-star for the athletics, just give us an update. How's he doing? Uh, he's doing great. He lives uh, He lives in Southern California in the San Diego area. Um, he's obviously retired. He's the coach of most of his kids' teams. He helps them do their homework. He's the world's greatest father. He works out every day, does yoga three or four times a week. He's big into fantasy sports. He's, he's living the life that he probably dreamed of as a kid. I, you know, I, I, he knew that my goal from the time I was five years old was to be a, a major leaguer. And I think that was the same with him. And so for a dad to see that happen with him was heartwarming. And now to see the way that he's bringing up his kids and the kind of kids, my grand, his, my grandkids, his kids have become as, Another thing that's heartwarming. So I'm proud of him. I can't wait to see him and um, take part in the draft this Sunday. You know, obviously it was so tough on all of us to lose our great friend Ray Fossey, and we've been honoring him all season long. And like I said earlier, we recently played a interview that Ray did with you. Uh, now, now that you've had time to reflect a little bit, I know whenever you probably see the Oakland Athletics, it's got to be tough when you think about your dear friend Ray Fossey. Well, you know, that that's absolutely true. You, you hit the nail right on the head when you just said that. When the A's come into town, one of the things, as I'm driving to the ballpark for the first game in the series or taking the bus out to the Coliseum for the first game of the series out there, the first thing I expect to do is get off the elevator, walk up to the broadcast booth, and go say hi to Ray. And when he comes to our ballpark, he would do the same thing. And the thing that stands out, and I think you could talk to anybody that knew Ray, when you shake hands with him, he's got the world's biggest hand and the world's strongest handshake. And you have to brace yourself, make sure you get the right angle with your hand, and because he's not going to let up the way he shakes your hand. I'll never forget that about him. But I love talking to him. He was, he was old school all the way. 
Um, he would vent a little bit about certain things that are going on in the game, but the one thing that you can't deny is how much he loved the game. Uh, I love playing against him. Um, thinking back about Ray, the one thing, one, one thing I wish that had happened in his career, I wish the throw to the plate in the All-Star game got there about a second earlier so that he could have caught that ball and braced for the collision with Pete Rose. Um, and if that had happened, that might have ended Pete Rose's career because Ray Ray was, you know, a big, solid, strong linebacker type. And I just hated to see that collision with Ray's arms raised up the air, up in the air, and Pete barreling him over at the plate. Would have been an entirely different thing if Ray had that ball a second earlier. Um, so when I think about his career, that's one thing I think of. But the other thing that I know about Ray, and I saw it every time that I was with him, is how much he loved the A's organization, how much he loved his relationship with the team. He was down on the field constantly talking with the players. He had energy. He was a great broadcaster, a great baseball guy. And I, I, I think if you talk to 100 other baseball people, they would give you the same version of what I just said. He, he was a treasure. He was a baseball treasure. He was a treasure for the Oakland A's. And for those of us that knew him well, it was a sad day when we learned of his passing. Well, the same can be said about you at the Texas Rangers. I mean, you look, I mean, going back to the early 70s to where we are now, I mean, if you're a Rangers fan, their entire life, they grew up with you either as a player, a broadcaster, a general manager with this organization. Uh, I, I know the goodbye is not going to be easy because this has been your life. But when you think about it, is there anything that uh, you think, man, if there's one thing I will miss after all these years, there's probably a lot that you're like, I'm not going to miss. But if there's one thing, what, what is it you think you'll miss? I think the thing that, that most people miss the most, and it's true with me too, when I, the first day that I was retired as a player, the thing I knew I was going to miss the most was the relationship with the players in the clubhouse, the camaraderie that you have with the players. Because once once you're retired, once you leave a team, it's never the same. I could go back into the clubhouse the next year with many of the same players there, and they're all going to be friendly, and it's all going to feel great, but it's not the same when you're wearing the same uniform. And so when I broadcast my last game at the end of this season, I'm sure I'll feel a lot of the same things about all the people that I've met when I worked in the front office, all the people I've met when I've been a broadcaster, both in our organization or the other teams. You know, that's one thing. I, I don't miss the travel. Um, I know I'm getting out at the right time. I don't think I'm going to look back and feel like I retired too soon or anything like that. But the one thing I, I do think about a lot and miss all the time are all the people that you meet, the relationships that you have. I think that when most people retire from baseball, whatever their job is, that's probably a similar feeling that everybody has. People in baseball are such wonderful people. There's so many stories to tell, so many great times, so many laughs. Um, the season unfolds over 162 games, and there's so many things to talk about. And remember that when you're out of it and you're not in the middle of it, you don't have those same relationships and conversations. I think that's probably what I'll miss the most. Great stuff. Enjoy the, the break. Enjoy the time with Ben in Los Angeles, and we'll talk to you in the second half. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Great being with you. Thank you, Tom. Tom Grieve, Ray, Ray's legend, baseball legend. This guy has been with the Texas Rangers dating back to the Washington Senators since I was born.
even before I was born. I think what what was his first year? Nineteen seventy. Yeah, he's been with the organization. I mean, well, that's, 50, that's fifty-two years. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a long. Well, then time. He said one year with the Mets. Yeah, it's been a long time. When I think of long-term broadcasters, I mean, he's one of the first guys I think of. Wait a minute, hold on. He left the Rangers for two years, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. So basically, fifty years he's been with one organization. One organization that. That is unbelievable. And then probably not bad to go to New York and St. Louis and get that vibe for uh for a couple for a couple of years, but pretty amazing. That what a career. And I don't know if we'll get him again this year, but uh uh it's always great to have him on. And here Ben's doing well. I, I remember covering Ben's rookie of the year press conference. It was at the old famous uh North Beach Italian restaurant right across from the park. I can't remember the name that did mysteriously burned down um god it was famous can't remember where what, what the name of it was and whenever i think italian restaurant right because of ray fossey i think francesco's but no that was in oakland it was right across from the park in north beach and we had the uh, rookie of the year uh lunch in there for for ben grief god he was supposed to just be remember ben was going to be such a star he he looked at Billy Bean thought he was going to be a star, and that's why they gave him money and turned out not to be a star. It all basically, I mean, he was rookie of the year and all-star in his first year. He had all those home runs and then just, just nice. So he hit 288, 18 jacks, 89 RBIs with an 840 OPS. Right, you're thinking, oh, this guy's gonna be the next pick, and then, boom, was never the same. Went to Tampa. Where did he play after Tampa? Uh, the uh, Milwaukee and the Cubs. Um, it was over. Yeah. It I mean, was over. I mean, he still had solid. I mean, two sixty nine career hitter. He had over one hundred and fifty. He had one hundred eighteen career home runs. I mean, but that year in two thousand, uh, thirty twenty seven homers, one hundred and four RBI, two seventy nine batting average. Um, he did ground into a league high 32 double plays, but he had a very solid cu- first couple of years with the ace for sure. I sent Commander a, you need to do a commercial break. Yeah, we'll do one, what, at 56? Sure. Or you want to do one now? Uh, it don't matter. Whatever you want to go. Well, we have to break at 56. Yeah, let's just wait till then. Okay. So I sent Commander an article from Fangraphs yesterday, and it it really is just a – it's like a I, – I don't know what this means type type deal. Um, I, as I'm trying to look at the team totals right here to see where the Dodgers are and run scored. So, okay, this is crazy. Sometimes, do we have too many stats? Do we have too many ratios? Do we too, do we have too many algorithms? Do we have too much? The Dodgers' approach to hitting is like any other. Okay, fancy title, but we know titles and articles don't always line up so hot, right? So, it's an article about how the Dodgers are second- to the worst team hitting balls that end up right in the middle of the plate is essentially what this article is about. That 
balls, you know, you got the hot zones, right? You know, they'll show you that, you know, a hitter gets up there, they'll show you down and in, middle in, guy crushes it. Down and away, it's blue and it's his cold zone, right? Or down and away, out of the strike zone, really cold zone, because that means he's swinging the sliders out and he's an easy out. But this is balls that are right down Broadway. Like if you go to MLB.com and they put that, uh, they put the box up there to show you what is a strike and what is not a strike. These are balls that are considered right down the middle. Should be the easiest pitch in the world to hit. It's called the heart zone runs by team. And it's an article that just talks about teams that, you know, when the ball goes down the plate, how do they do? And certain players, how do they do? Who do you think is the worst team in baseball hitting balls, whether it's fastball, breakout, however the pitch is thrown, it's where it ends up, right in the middle of the plate, screaming, hit me. It's screaming, hit me. Who's the worst in baseball? Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and – Take a wild, wild, uh, wild guess. I'm not going to pile on, but I know they have the. They might, if I'm correct, I think they might have the lowest OPS, slugging, on base, batting average. Take a wild. I mean, just just get nutty and get wild. Second least home runs in the league. Actually, tied for second now, um, and the least second most least runs scored in the league. I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics. That'd be correct. <laughs> that would be correct, and that would make sense. That would make total sense, right? To me, it makes sense. A's, what do they don't do? They don't hit. So it doesn't matter whether it's in the middle, up, down, in, out, out zone, in zone. Doesn't matter. They don't hit. But this article is crazy because number two is the Dodgers. Yeah. Do you know who's number two in runs scored? I mean, the only analytic that matters is how many runs, and it's just not analytic. It's just point is, this is a game, and how you win the game is you score more runs than the other team. Now, you can look at it two different ways. You can say we prevent runs, or you can say we score runs, however you want to look at it. At the end of the time of the game, whoever has more runs than the other team Wins the game, we don't have ties. So, kind of a big stat. We don't talk about it a lot. We like talking about all the other stats. We like talking about we like talking about everything that supposedly leads up to runs, but we just don't talk about runs. We talk about all this different stuff that supposedly leads us to runs, but the most important stat is runs. Can't can't deny that, right? In other sports, it's called points. Our sport, it's called runs. Hockey's goals. Sport, hockey's goals, yeah. <laughs> hockey's goals, other sport. You know, I got to score in football and basketball. I got to score more points when the time runs out. The time will run out. And when the time's run out, if I have more points, now if I'm equal in points, we will go to extra time. And when the extra time runs out, at some point we'll keep going extra time. But at some point, uh, time's going to run out. And if I have more points, I win. Pretty simple concept. How is it possible that the L.A. Dodgers stink at hitting balls right down Broadway and yet have scored 535 runs and the A's, who are 
right next to them, we're, we're, we're the worst. We've only scored 295. How? I, I don't even know what to make of this. Fangraphs does some interesting stuff. I just don't know where, what, I, I, obviously the Dodgers have better players. But what does this article mean if the, it would be one thing if all the bad teams were with the A's, if, if all the teams were all the bad teams, like I'm looking, like the worst teams scoring runs are Detroit, Oakland, Pittsburgh, National. Right. If those are, if you just lined up all the bad teams scoring runs and they were all the teams on this list, you'd go make sense. Dodgers. They got monsters. They're the Dodgers. They're second best team scoring runs in the game of baseball. Only the Yankees have scored more runs and part of that's ballpark. I would probably say if you flipped the Yankees and the Dodgers, and now you transported the Yankees to L.A. and the Dodgers to Yankee Stadium, I would bet that the Dodgers would probably score more runs than the Yankees would. Because Dodger Stadium is a symmetrical, it's, a, it's you know, to where Dodger Stadium is a bandbox to left and a band super, not even a bandbox to right. I mean, literally, Cody and I could wake up in the morning, go there with a metal bat, and hit a couple out there. It's not that it's like, what? Got to hit it like three fifteen. You got to hit a pop up, a decent pop up, and it's out at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, Down for for sure. I think we're going to go with Dodger Stadium. I'm like, well, I'll let you know. I'm going to the home run derby, uh, so I'll let you know how many balls. There's going to be a lot of balls flying at out Dodger of there. Stadium years ago because they always really had good pitching, but it was a pitcher's ballpark. Marine Lair comes in Southern California. Uh, it was never Dodger Stadium was never known as a offensive ballpark. It was a pitcher's ballpark. But explain that. Can you explain to me how the Dodgers and the A's both stink at hitting balls right down the middle, but yet the Dodgers score runs? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. No, I can't explain it. I Does it am I? It sh- sh- was this clickbait for me? A little bit. Okay. Then sure. it's on me. You know what? I'll wear it. Corey Seager. I got to wear Corey Seager. I got to I gotta said I'd eat crow because I've been bagging Corey Seager. I do have to give him credit with his – Home run yesterday, which was in the, once again, another solo shot. Number 21 uh, on the year. Uh, number nine in the ninth inning yesterday, Corey Seager jo- joins Alex Rodriguez, who did it twice, and the great Eddie Miller, who, you, of course, you remember. Eddie Miller, remember him? If, uh, I'm trying to see where you're going with the stat. I'll tell you what team he played for. <laughs> you don't even know what team Eddie Miller played for? Oh. Uh, why, the Texas forty? The no, no. Senators. No, it's for the Braves. Uh, a Rod and Eddie Miller of the Braves in nineteen forty. Who I'm, I'm with you. I have no idea. Uh, they're the only shortstops now with Corey Seager to hit a home run in five consecutive games. That's very. That's, that's actually really impressive. That's a record. I mean, that's that ties a record. Seeger goes yard tonight against Paulie Winday. Paulie Blackburn making his first appearance. Oh my God, I gotta go. Uh, Paulie Blackburn making his first appearance as an Oakland Athletic. As an all, how do I want? He makes his first appearance being an All Star. First appearance after being named an All Star. 
There you go. First appearance after being named an all-star. <laughs> all right, coming up next, speaking of all-star, do you like the background behind me? I really like it. Uh, I do, and I, I can. Uh, I know you have to go, so I can set up the interview with Bip and play. All right, so you don't have to worry I will about. be back. Bip Roberts coming up next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, well, earlier today, uh, before the show, Townie caught up with Bip Roberts. They're actually taping an interview right now with uh, Aviators catcher Shea Langoliers, the A's number one prospect in minor leagues. Uh, so that's why they're not here right now. But we'll play the part of our their full interview from earlier today. Here's Townie earlier today with Bip Roberts, who you'll see on A's pregame live on NBC Sports California coming up at 4.30. Joining us here on A's Cast Live. Yes, it is a special edition from NBC Sports California, the studios. It's a road game for us. The guy that I'm going to be doing A's pre- and post-game live today really needs no introduction as – Truly one of the great players from the Bay Area to play in Major League Baseball. Now a TV host, the former All-Star, former A, Bip Roberts. And you know what? He's too pretty to just have him on the phone. So I'm like, <laughs> you got to be in studio with us. You got to be on camera today. What's up, buddy? Hey, man, everything is good. Uh, I finally get to see what you look like when you're doing your radio show. This is Well, I, I, I'd like to say it always looks this nice in a studio like this. But let's, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It, well, you've seen what we do on the field. Yeah, but this is kind of new digs for us as we're kind of trying new things. And of course, with me working with you today, we had to find a spot to do it. But this is this is the studio that everybody was using during COVID calling the play by play, whether it was Glenn and Ray in Dallas or Crook and Kipe or you talk about Warriors, you talk about Sharks. I mean, everybody, if they weren't at their own digs if they weren't at the arena or they weren't at the stadium this is where they actually did the play-by-play so right. they turned whatever room this is with all the lighting and everything actually into a a pretty nice studio for us to use it actually used to be the green room it's where we used to come hang out before the pre and the post game. where the so. stars and you got your makeup done and all yeah, that kind of yeah, stuff yeah absolutely and i really like it because you have the oakland behind you and then there's the stadium right there so it feels like you're actually at the stadium right now even though we're in the studio well i gotta tell you when they first brought me back here to say yeah this is where we can start doing the show when you're here they had a giants background up i was like <laughs> bro that ain't gonna work i'm gonna tell you if i walk in here and you have the giants background ah, that's not gonna happen <laughs> I mean, I've already threatened to sit in crook and kite seats just to make people angry around here. So uh, that was not going to happen. Uh, we were on TV last night, and, you know, what a wild game as we sat there in the studio and watched it as the A's scored the eight runs. 
in extra innings, winning 12, big win. And where this season is, I mean, they were fighting not to be, still fighting not to be the first team with 60, 60 losses on a season, fighting to not be 30 games under 500, which I know makes your skin crawl. But I know it's just one win, but you got to start getting some good vibes because, you know, there is a lot of baseball left. Yeah, I, I like the words you use, fight. And that's what they did last night. They kept fighting, and those guys kept going up there putting good at bat after good at bat. And I, I think when you start to get hits, that's where you start to develop the confidence that you need. You know, at one point in time, we were talking this week about Tony Kemp being 0 for 21, but he gets a big hit last night in a big situation. And so that should give him the confidence to now go forward. You know what? I can have results in this game if I just continue to go up there and work hard. You saw Pender hit a grand slam last night. Yeah. He was another guy that's had, that had been struggling. See, and these two guys who hadn't, really played every day as everyday players, but now they're trying to figure out what it takes to be everyday players and how you get through the good and the bad. And so when you see guys going out there, Lariano hits the ball hard the other way. He gets a home, he hits a home run. Those are the things you want to see. And then Murph gets four hits. His first hit was a hit the opposite way, just a bullet the other way. And it sets it up, sets him up to get four hits. He gets three hits. He gets the, that hit to the opposite field. Then he gets two hits by pulling. And then he goes back the opposite way again. So his body is in great position. And we had a good uh, chance to talk to him last night. And, and that's what he felt after that first at bat, that his body was in good position to hit. So I think that after you have a game like that, of, of that magnitude last night, everyone should start to feel a little more comfortable and more confident as they take the field today. Well, you said something last night that really I, I've thought about all day and we're going to talk about it. We're taping this actually before the show starts. And BIP, who... I think you got to realize just not only played major league baseball has coach, he's been a hitting coach. He's been a coach. So he's done more than just play. And you mentioned last night about how Tony Gwynn in his first at bat, one of the greatest hitters of all time, the hall of famer who you played with would always want to go to right field on the first at bat because it sets him up for the rest of the game. And I'm thinking, man, you're you, normally it's like hit it where it's pitched. No, I'm going to lock myself in, in the first at bat. And then you mentioned that about Murph, and it really makes sense that I put myself in a good mindset in that first at-bat, knowing I'm going to get at least three more. And, heck, if you're going to be an extra innings game, you get four or five more. But he really got himself locked in. But just the first at-bat, feeling your hands inside, driving it, taking the whole body going the other way, it's just good fundamentals. Yeah, Tony liked to let the ball travel deep, and he liked to hit the ball in that five-and-a-half hole. You know, if you don't know what the five and a half hole is, it's between third base and shortstop. And Tony being a left-handed hitter, he was always thinking, stay inside the ball, but let the ball travel deep. So the first at bat, when you let the ball travel deep, you're not hitting in the back of the strike zone. So now all you have to worry about is pitches in zones because you've already let the ball travel as deep as you need to and still made solid contact. So you're not going to get fooled on change-ups. You're not going to chase sliders in the dirt. You're not going to be out in front on a curveball. You're going to let everything travel to the back of the strike zone, and then you're going to make your move on it. And that's what Tony was so good at that we all watched the San Diego Padres and said, you know what, I'm going to emulate that because you know good hitters like to see what the best hitters are doing and try to emulate some of those things, you know, calculate that into your swing. And now you're like, I'm not him but I can do some of the things that he does because I've watched him do it. And I think last night when I saw Murphy let that ball travel and then boom, he exploded on it and the ball jumped off his bat. I said, Oh, he's locked in. He's locked in already. 
And I think that when a hitter can do that, it builds him up as the game continues to progress because it doesn't matter who's coming in. He already knows the back of the strike zone. And so he's not going to try to hit in front of the strike zone where he's chasing pitches in the dirt. He's not going to chase after that stuff. It's going to be tough to get him out. And as you saw last night, after that first at bat, you couldn't get Murph out. You know, I've called for certain guys over the years on this show, and this guy should play every day, or let's give this guy a chance. And one of the guys is Chad Pender, and I brought it up to you last night on television, and you made another great point. You know, if you haven't learned how to play every day, where you haven't learned to where every single game, if you're going to play, let's say, I mean, not everybody's going to be Cal Ripken and play 162 every game. Um, but if you're going to play 155 plus games, it's the roller coaster ride, the ups and the downs that you not, you not only have to be able to keep your body healthy and your body in shape as much as possible, but it's the mental side of the game that you have to learn to be an everyday guy to learn with failure, to learn about the failure and ha- and not to have the failure conquer you. We were talking about that off the air yesterday. I went, you know, that's a really good point. You just think about why does he play every day? But then there's something, there's an art to playing every day that I think us mere mortals don't know about. It is. And, and you have to be a special guy to be able to deal with failure and not get the results you're looking for every day. I think that's the toughest part of a major leaguer. You see guys strike out and you can hear in the microphone that they're going to say something that they shouldn't say because they're upset. They're going to make it have a cuss word or, or something to get out that anxiety that's inside. But when you're learning how to play every day, you're going to have failure more than you have success. And how do you deal with that failure? Sometimes when guys are not everyday players and they can play two or three days in a row and they struggle, they can go into the cage and they can figure it out because they're not playing that day or the next day or maybe even the next day. So you can flush out those bad swings by going up there and working on good habits. And now you come back three days later and you feel fresh again mentally. But the guys who play every day don't have that time off. You have to figure it out on the run. You have to get to the ballpark. You have to stay within what your work habits may be. And then you have to find a way in that game to have your results. And again, I always go back to what Tony Gwynn used to do because I used to emulate the things he did because when you're successful and people can see that you're successful, they want to do the things that you're doing. Tony Gwynn would get to the ballpark early. And you can look at your watch and you can say, I know where Tony is right now. He's on the tee. Another 15 minutes. I know where Tony Gwynn is right now. He's taking extra batting practice. Another 15 minutes. I know where Tony Gwynn is. He's uh, looking at video. And then, then all of a sudden now we have our own regular batting practice and you can see all the work that he's done already into the batting practice that we're taking together as a team. Now, what happens is he translates that into the game. All the video that he watched, he now knows what that pitcher is going to do that night. And he knows exactly what he's going to sit on. Now, a disciplined hitter can sit on a pitch. You see a fastball inside, boom, Tony would take it. You would go, well, what is he looking for? That pitch was right there here. There's a slider. He doesn't look for that slider. There's a changeup, and whack, he whacks a changeup. And I've seen him do this against guys like Randy Johnson, where he knew Randy doesn't throw many changeups to lefties, but he's going to throw me one, and I'm going to sit on it. And he would say that before he went into the batter's box. <laughs> and he would sit on that changeup, get it, and whack it in the left field for a base hit. Yeah. That's what an everyday player thinks about. What are the weaknesses of this guy? Can he throw his secondary pitches for strikes? And if he does, I'm going to sit on one because he's going to come to it eventually. But you have to be disciplined. You have to be patient. And you learn that by playing every day. 
See, when you're a player who plays two, three days and you get a couple days off, you just go up there looking for fastball. You just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a fastball and I'm just going to rip it. But the everyday hitter says, okay, this is how this guy's going to come at me, and I need to be disciplined to sit on this because I know that if I can get the results off of that, I can do that tomorrow. And then I can do that the next day. And I'll ride it as long as I can because I'm having success with it. Whereas that player who plays once, two, three, he's just trying to get a couple hits. But he's not understanding that the longevity is I have to know what the pitch is going to do to me. I have to adjust to him every pitch in the batter's box. And I have to keep my approach each and every time. I can't change it. You know, I have never heard one sports psychologist. I've never heard anybody who works with people about being more successful in life, in business. I'll bring it back to sports. A sports psychologist that says chaos is good. Inconsistency <laughs> is good. I've never heard anybody say that. And we talk, a lot of it happens in the two sports I really love. Of course, baseball and golf's the same thing. Routine, routine, routine. I don't even have to bring up what you just brought up with Tony Gwynn had this routine of every single day what he did to make him a great hitter. And some people will say, well, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Well, if the greats do it, that means the, the guys who aren't the greats really need to do it because it works. But yet, unfortunately, and this has been going on even in the years we've been very successful, and I'll talk more about it now because we're not successful, is we have no routine. We have chaos every day with who's where, where are people playing, where are you hitting in the lineup, who's in, who's out. I, there's no rhyme or reason ever, and here you are, almost 30 games under 500, and I just say, man, why not just, you know, we've kind of, we, we kind of know what who's what, why not have if, if you're saying I don't care, Nick Allen, if you go oh for your next 80, you're leading off. I'm just using that as an example or whatever you want to do. Just give me a week of consistency, because to me, the guys who are not the greatest, not the elite, they need more consistency than anybody. I need it in my life. Right. Yeah. I need it for these shows. I get ready for shows. There's a difference Monday through Friday. I, I work every day. You know, like a ball player, every single time you guys are playing, I'm working, right? So I have my my things that I do before every show. I got the stuff that I do on the weekends where I'm just doing pre and post. I mean, there's a consistency. Would you, am I crazy, or would you like to see a little more consistency? No matter how bad the team is, give me some consistency and see if some guys can thrive in it. Well, you're right. I, I think you have to figure out who can play every day and who's that guy that needs a break here and there. You know, as I said last night, when, when I walk into the clubhouse or when I look at the door on the clubhouse now, I just see it saying opportunity 2022. And that opportunity is for all these guys who are coming up and down from the triple A team. And yes, you want to get that long run. But the only way you're going to get that long run is to get hot. You can't, you know, go 0 for 4, 0 for 4, 0 for 4, get two hits. And then what's going to happen is he's gonna, he may bring you out because you're not six for your last 12, or six for your last 10. See, as a manager, I'm looking at who's hot, and I need that guy in a lineup because I need results. This is a Can you get somebody lead. hot if it's always inconsistent? Well, here's my thing, and I'll just go back to when we were playing. We played when we were, and, and the manager would bring us up when we were hot. He didn't want to bring us up when we were cold. He wanted us to come up and be able to perform. This is a results league. You cannot go 0 for your 12, 0 for 15, 0 for 18, and expect to be in there every day. I got to get you out of there, bro. Sorry. You're not hot right now. And because you're not hot, you're not producing. 
I need you have to produce in this game. I don't need you to go 20 at bats and give me four hits. I need you, if you get 20 at bats, to give me at least eight hits, nine hits, and do some damage. So it's it's very difficult for a manager or a coach to get a guy in and out there in it every day if he's struggling. Yeah, you might want to get him some run, but does he deserve that run? You got to be able to deserve that run. You got to get out there. You got to get hot. You can't get out there and play cold and expect to be in the lineup every day. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work for the manager. It doesn't work for the team. And then it doesn't work for that guy because he's struggling and it's just going to take his mentality down. He's not going to be as confident as he could be. So I just believe that. And I, I used to sit all the time. When I came back up in the big leagues, I was hitting 353 and I was banging. And Jack McKinn got me in the lineup when he said nobody coming up was going to play. But he knew I was hot and I stayed hot the entire season. I came back the next year hot and I, I stayed hot the rest of my career. So it's about results and production. It's not about what I think or what I want. It's about what you're doing. I got I got I got a. What did you end up? Were you 298, 296? A 294. You sure? Yeah. I, I had- mean, I mean. I look back at your career and a lot of people, yeah, 294. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. I mean, it was an unbelievable consistent career. And you look at the all-star game that you played in. I always like to say that I was there for that all-star game. And I say one of the reasons why he's been my favorite all these years, bringing him on the program is the fact that I grew up watching Bip. I watched basically Bip, a lot of Bip's career and have so much respect for him. And uh, it's great to do television with you. Just we'll end on this. If there was some advice, we're heading to the all-star break. You're going to have what we call the second half. You know, you have less than 81 games, but you have a second half. What advice do you give to a lot of these A's players, whether you're old or young and a lot has been a struggle. What advice do you give them? Well, I would say learn by listening. You can watch and you can see things, but some things that guys say can click. It can make you all of a sudden figure, oh, that's what he's doing. Yeah, you can see it, but you may not be able to see it. So sometimes your ears have to be your eyes because you have to listen to what people are saying. And then you have to take that into consideration as to who you are and what you're doing. Like when I was young and I was struggling to go the other way, I listened to what Gary Tipton said. And if I struggled that day, I would go to Gary and say, hey, what did I do? And he would say, "Okay, let's put down this towel. And now go through your progression. And I would go through. He said, you didn't do that today. Because he would watch and see what I was doing because he knew exactly what I was doing. Had I watched what I was doing, I couldn't see it. So I had to hear what he was saying. He said, oh, you're not doing it the way you were doing. No, that's not you. You got to get back to doing it this way. So I would listen to what he says. And because of Gary, I, would, I became more consistent in my game. So as a young player who's trying to find his way, you have to find a guy that speaks your language. That when you hear what he's saying, you understand it. Like when I first Tony, when I first met Tony Gwynn, he showed me the five and a half, the five and a half hole swing, and I was like, "What the? What is that? <laughs> what? What is that? You know, what the I'm, heck out of here? What the heck is that?" <laughs> but Gary took me in a cage, and I started hitting off the tee, and I started hitting the ball on the tee and bouncing it straight up off the tee, and it shortened my swing up. And then I got to the point where two months later, when he said, "Okay, let's level it out," I was able to level it out. But what it taught me was what Tony was saying. I could see it, but I didn't understand it. Gary showed it to me. Now I heard it, and now I could see it. You see what I mean? So when you're a young player, you're going to see a lot of things that you don't understand, but it's going to take that one player to help you hear it so that now you can see it, and then you can figure it out. So that's what I would be as a young player. I'm trying to talk to everybody and every 
on every team about something so that I can hear it and then I can learn it and then I can see it. And if I can see it, then I can be it. The former All-Star, Bip Roberts, you'll see him today at 4.30, we're on? We're on at 4.30. 4.30 A's pregame live, and you'll see him throughout the season. And once again, it's always an honor to have you on the program. Thank you, my friend. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. I have to be honest with you right now here on A's Cast Live. I'm a little nervous. Uh, I'm scoot over here, Feldy. Great Dave Feldman's with us here. Um, he is a professional scorekeeper. He teaches classes on how to keep score. And I've left my book open. It's almost like I've exposed myself to a professional. I, I, I literally, I, I never kept score until I got into this business and really never really cared to do it other than I need to figure it. It's like when someone calls me up in the postgame show and they'll say, hey, in the ninth inning when Seager, you know, then, I, okay, Seager at the home run. How, how did they score it off Lou? I it gives me an idea and it keeps you following the game. I know I'm not good at it, but now as a professional, you're looking at it and, and I'm almost, I almost feel like I'm that kid in school again when the teacher's looking over my homework and I know this isn't good. Oh, wait, hold on. There you go. Hey, there we go. It's good for you. Right. And that's what I always tell people when you're keeping score, you got to do it in a way that works for you and so you can go back and look at what happened and know what happened yeah right and that that's you're not being graded on this i'm not grading you if i, if I you are ju- i can see it you are judging me yeah i'm judging no you use the, the red for run scores correct I see that uh some people like to highlight strikeouts or walks or at bats that happen with the runner in scoring position i mean there's so many different ways that you can do it but the key especially for your job is reference when someone does bring out, hey, why did they pitch to Cole Calhoun in the ninth inning last night? You had a right-hander on deck who's done nothing but strike out. Why are you even dealing with Calhoun? Which would have been my question if I called in last night. Um, but now you can look back to that and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, see, normally I have this all filled. But in TV mode, I, I wasn't. But normally I have everything filled out. Where would you, and you can be honest, where, where, where would you grade me? A to F. Where, where where would you have my book? Well, it's actually pretty neat. It's much neater than Ken Korak's. Korak, you cannot read. It's embarrassing. Dude. No. Uh, you do a good job filling out. You got your standings. You got your, your defensive chart here. You got your standings. Uh, all your pitcher lines are Normally, out. I would have bullpens and benches and everything fit. And I cross out guys, but I did, you know, when you're doing TV, you don't have to do the same rating. No, so. you're, you're a high B plus A minus in my okay, book. Okay, thank you. I, I, I have said this. If there... What what happens if somehow the A's are involved in the greatest game in the history of baseball and they request 
Ken Korak's book. Oh, it's going to be an embarrassment. It is. You, you ever walk the concourse at the Coliseum? Yes. And the photos and all the beautiful things they have on the ramp. And they have Mike Sellex. He's a director of managing media, whatever his title is, been there forever. They have his scorebook from Dallas Braden's Perfect Game. And it is immaculate. That's when you're going down the ramp, right? You're going down the ramp. And that, what level is that? It's going down to the championship first deck, plaza. Yeah, championship plaza down to the first deck. And there it is, Dallas Braden. And there's Mike Selleck's scorebook, uh, his scorebook page. And it's immaculate. You can see every out that happened. Everything's filled out. It's beautiful. I walk by that because that's the way I go down to get on the field for Ace Cast Live. Sure. I don't go down the elevator anymore because it's always too compacted. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna stop by. Will I, will I be... I'll be really impressed. It's like perfect and neat. He has really good penmanship. And, you know, Mike's been doing it for a long time and he has his style and it's just, it's beautiful. You'll see every out. You can relive every out. It's uh, it's beautiful. It would, you know, Corax is just scribbles and, and stuff that you have no idea what's going on. And it looks like that Corax scorebook is a mess before the game starts. Yes. Before the game. Like if he hit, like if it was like, it's time to do the starting lineups and he handed you his, what you'd be like, what? You can't, it's, it's really bad. But once again, the only thing that matters for everybody out there is if you can follow the game with your style. And that's, that's the thing, you know, the scoring system of using numbers for positions, right. And using dots or doubles for hits. That's kind of been a standard, but whatever makes sense to you, you're the one keeping score. You're the one who's going to look back and relive that game. So it's, I've always trying to really impress that on people who score at the games, use a system that works for you. Not everybody's is the same what works for you and how you're going to best remember the game. That's the way to go. All righty. So we're doing top 10 first halves in the history of the game. Yeah. For history of the Oakland A's guys who've had the best first half or pre all-star break as we're going to call it, because obviously the all-star break is not exactly at the halfway mark. Um, you know, the A's obviously a franchise in Oakland littered with, with hall of fame players and all-star players and guys who put together just amazing first three months of the season that really stand out. Well, we have the honorable mention. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of – so what we did, because, you know, a lot of guys had multiple great first halves. So I just picked the, the best of the best yeah. for that player. Uh, but honorable mention-wise, guys who had great first half, then maybe by themselves, Marcus Simeon in 2019, huge numbers. Uh, Josh Donaldson in 2013 had huge numbers, and, and 2014 as well. Uh, Olsen last season, huge and then pitchers Mulder in 2001, Hudson in 2003. These were all fantastic years, uh, first halves of years. Not enough to make this list, however. That's a big list then. By the way, did you have you seen that Matt Olson right now is on pace for 60 doubles for yeah. the season? Yeah, he had already set. He was second most doubles before his first 70 games with the Braves, second most in Braves history through 70 games, more than Hank Aaron ever hit, more than Eddie Matthews. Just a doubles machine. Now the ball's starting to go out of the yard, too. He's starting to hit home runs. So I never realized it's harder to hit 60 doubles than it is to hit 60 home runs. Yeah. Or a web, right? It was a list of, you know, the the, the, the last guy to do it was like 1935. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and because what Olson's going to have happen is these balls that were doubles in April and May are going to be homers now in July and August. So I think his doubles are actually going to go down a little bit and his homers are going to go up. It means monster year for monster our old friend year. Matt Olson. All right, number 10. Let's start with a big name. Let's start with Jose Canseco in 1988. Uh, you know, this is Jose's third full season, and this is the year he put it all together. This was his 40-40 year. This was his MVP year. And he showed it all in the first half. 
right? 290 average, 24 bombs, 22 steals, and just great defense. He was playing right field. He just moved over to right, and he was fantastic because when Jose cared about playing and being good, he was one of the best players in the game, and he showed that that first half. You know, in the second half, he was even better, right? He had 328 in the second half uh, with 18 homers, so over 1,000 OPS, but that first half put him on the map, and that's when everyone got excited, right? He was the rookie of the year in 86, but then McGuire took all the glory in 87, right, with the rookie record 49 home runs. But Jose in 88 said, this is my game. And he put everybody on notice. This is a great A's team, and he was the best player. And he did everything so well, and he was the story in 1988. All right, will Jose come up again on this list? No, I'm only, you're only going to get to come up once. Okay. He had some other good first halves, but this was his best one. Then let me say this about Jose Canseco, because now everything we do for some reason is Ricky Anderson. Yeah. Okay. I was in high school. I was in San Diego. The A's are the best team in baseball. Jose Canseco was the best player in baseball. He was the biggest star in Major League Baseball. And everybody, it didn't matter what town you grew up in, he was the guy you wanted to see at the All-Star game. He was he was the guy. We now see him in a completely different light, and it's like this pariah, and it's this whole thing. But when I was growing up, he is one of my favorite players, and that's why when they called me to do the uh, Out in Concord, remember he had his film, oh, and, they, they, right. and they called me to, hey, will you get on stage with Jose Canseco? I said, you're damn right I'll get on. I said, I loved him. When I was a kid, to this day, I still have the Jose Canseco on the on the table <laughs> at home sure. uh, for uh, for A's Cast Live. I loved Jose Canseco well, when I know, was a kid. As an A's fan, after Billy Martin left, right, and now you're in the 82, or 82 was last year, but at 83, 84, there was not, wasn't a lot to get excited about. But you kept hearing about this young kid, this, this Cuban kid playing in the minors, Jose Canseco, who hits bombs. And when we first saw him in a spring training game in 85 that was on television, and he had a weird batting stance, and he kind of crouched down. You're like, I don't know. And then he hits a ball 600 feet. You're like, oh, my. And then, you know, the great rookie year, who's very good in 87, but, boy, in 88, to see a guy that big, that strong, and that fast, we'd never seen that. Right, and all the talk about, well, if Willie Mays knew 40-40 was a thing, he would have done it. Maybe, but Jose's the first to ever do it. And Jose did it in a year. Well, there's steroids involved. But Jose did it in a year that mattered. Yeah. What ended up happening after that, you see Bonds, you see A-Rod. They did it in years where it didn't. They were having bad teams, weren't good. Jose was doing it in a season that mattered. Yeah, 104-win season for the A's. And he won the MVP, and he was the best player in baseball. All right, number nine. Number nine. We're going to go to a rookie year, probably the best rookie first half year. And this is Mitchell Page in 1977. And, and you know my love for Page the Rage and how he got screwed. You are a, for me, even someone, you know, like 70s, still too young. You, 70s is your, you, 70s for you is my 80s. Right, it's my formative years. Yeah. Right, I'm nine years old and I'm watching Mitchell Page yeah. and this is the greatest guy I've ever seen. He's hitting 308 in the first half, 11 bombs, 20 doubles, 902 OPS, 24 for 24 in stolen bases. That's massive. Mitchell Page, this is an unbelievable debut. He's not named to the All-Star team. Mitchell Page is not named to the All-Star The A's had two All-Stars in 1977. One was Vita Blue. All right, perennial All-Star, the, you know, the, the last remnant from the A's championship. He's a star. Years. He's a star. And Wayne Gross. 
And what was what was Mitchell Page's numbers? Mitchell Page was 308 with 11 homers, a 902 OPS, 24 for 24 in steals. So he's hitting extra bases, he's hitting for power, and he hasn't been caught stealing. No. But they go with wow. Wayne Gross. Wayne Gross hit 235, but had 15 home runs. So he had more homers than Mitchell Page. He had four more homers, but did nothing else better. And Wayne Gross got to go to the All-Star. We didn't have OPS then. We didn't have OPS and Maybe there was something else going on, too. Hate to say it, but um, Mitchell was kind of looked down upon, I think, and they wanted to bring up Wayne Gross, and, and it gets worse. It gets worse. First of all, none of the A's players, Vito or Wayne Gross, even got into the game at Yankee Stadium. Billy Martin didn't play either one of them. Wayne Gross was one of only two AL position players who did not get in the game. Billy Martin probably didn't even know who Wayne Gross was. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing for me with Mitchell, because the second half, Mitchell Page is just as good. He hits 307 with 10 more homers, finally gets caught stealing, but an OPS of 955. That's monstrous. And does not win Rookie of the Year. No, it goes to Eddie Murray. Now, over the long time of your career, yes, Eddie Murray is going to be a Hall of Famer. But that first year, Page's war, 6.1. Eddie Murray's 3.2. Page out hit him, 307, out stole him with the 42 steals and higher OPS. But Eddie Murray had the higher counting numbers. And back in 1977, all they really went with was counting numbers. 27 homers and 88 RBIs. Biggest thing is one guy played on the East Coast, one played on the West Coast, and no MLB network, no sports center, no app. No, you know, how, how was the East Coast really to know what the hell was going on? Because your box score wouldn't show up for that game two days later. Right. Kind of like the Chronicle now when you come to think. Oh, wow. Oh, hey, hey, Shots hey, hey. fired here in the city. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because Mitchell Page, you can go to YouTube now. And there's a series that Mitchell Page had at Fenway Park where he was just a monster. And there are great highlights to watch him play because he was so good. And that well, that's and that's when when people said, "Hey, you got to do it in New York." There was a reason why you need to do it when you're in New York, Boston. That the North needs you to see you because out west, yeah. And that was when they said to the Dodgers and the Giants, "You move out there, no one's going to know about All you." Right, so Eddie Murray got 12 first place votes. Mitchell got eight. Uh, Bump Wills, Maury Wills's kid, got four first place votes. And I still don't know how that happened. And it was kind of those votes that did not go to Mitchell Page that cost him the Rookie of the Year. Number eight. John Jaha. John Jaha. John Jaha. You can play Ozzy Osbourne. Let's go. So this is one of the first of the A's reclamation projects of getting a guy who had been good, right? John Jaha had a year in Milwaukee in 1996 where he had 34 homers and 118 RBIs. But then he got injured, and he had kind of nothing years in 97, 98. The A's take a flyer on him for 99, and they make him their everyday DH. And they hit pay dirt. I had a first half. He had 286 with 19 homers, drove in 56, a 585 slugging. He's in the middle of this A's lineup with Giambi and Matt Stairs. And he's the A's also representative. And he deserved it. And he finishes the year with 35 homers, 111 runs batted in, 101 walks. And this was what, you know, eventually Frank Thomas in 2006 and what they tried to hit with Mike Piazza yeah. in 2007 and Sweeney in 2008, Garcia Parra, 2009. But Jaha was really the first of this, right? And they hit on it and they thought, well, we can do this again. 
they did they did do it again with Frank, but really not much else helped. And what was what was his? Was it torn quad or something? Yeah, like a shoulder was with the A's. Was ended up being a shoulder. It was his legs with Milwaukee and a shoulder with the A's. He played a little bit in 2000. Tried to come back in 01, and just couldn't stay healthy. And John Jaha was a fantastic human being. Just a good dude. Big Raider fan, so he was really excited to be in Oakland. Uh, you know, 99 All Star games at Fenway, and that's when they bring out Ted Williams. Yeah. And so you see that video. And there's John Jaha, and he's soaking it up, and good for him. Yeah, number seven, Jason Giambi. Jason Giambi in 2000, again, he kind of – this was his MVP year, and he took hold of that award in the first half. In that first half, he hit 334. And you didn't see players in Oakland hitting 334. That doesn't happen. All right, 22 bombs, OPS of uh, over 1,000, but his on base was 474. So almost half the time he's reaching base in these 85 games. 78 walks, only 55 strikeouts. Now, Giambi let himself kind of know in 99, 98 that he's coming. But now this is where it just took over. He's the starting first baseman in the All-Star game in Atlanta. Fans notice how good Jason Giambi is. Um, you know, wins the MVP, outdistance Frank Thomas and A-Rod and deserved it. Should have won it in 01 because he had a better year than each row Suzuki. But Ichiro had all the flash and the things, and it was, it was Ichiro. Like Jumbi. something out of Star Wars. Jami was even better in 2001. But that first half in 2000, that was that was, that was superstar. You're seeing a superstar before your eyes. A guy who hit 315 the year before, hit some bombs, but this was putting it all together. And an underrated first baseman. He, he kind of got a bad rap, but he could pick it at first. You know, Eric Chavez doesn't win all those gold gloves without – Jason Giambi picking these balls in the dirt. Tejada would not be thought of as good defensively if it wasn't for Jason Giambi. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of range. He had no arm, but he could pick it. According to Moneyball, it's first base. <laughs> it's easy. Anyone can do it. It's incredibly hard. Number six. Number six in our Oakland Athletics first half. This one uh, surprised me, but looking back at it, I go, yeah, it's pretty good. Justin Dukeshire. Just the Duke? Justin Dukeshire in 2008. Now, this was a guy who made the all-star team as a reliever in 2005 and a reliever, we had a 1.49 ERA, uh, but now he's a starter first full year as a starter. And that first half in 16 starts, he goes 10 and five with a 1.82 ERA, which is the second lowest in Oakland history for the first half. So it's legitimate, right? Justin Dukeshire getting a job as a starter. He was dominant out there. Every time he took the mound, you thought you were going to win. 10 and 5 with a 1.82 is no joke, right? Fortunately, not for, throwing 100, too, by the way. No, no, mixing it up, curveballs, tall guy on the mound, but he threw strikes and he battled. He had a little, when I think back to it, Chris Bass, it kind of reminds me of what Dukeshire was. That the way he battled and competed last year, that's what Dukeshire would do, especially in 2008. Uh, then the injuries, hip injury curtailed his second half, then an elbow surgery in 2009. Uh, then he had physical injuries, then he had some mental health issues, and his career was just never the same. He made five starts in 2010, and, and that was it at the major league level. Uh, so really making the all-star team for a second time in 2008 was a high watermark for him. Number five. He had to be on this list somewhere, right? Ricky Henderson. Yeah, he's always going to. Yeah, And again, here's another guy, great first half in 81. Uh, in 82, he had 84 stolen bases before the all-star <laughs> 84. 
Now, he was also caught 23 times, but he's had 84. That um, is something <laughs> as much as we got to talk about how great Ricky is. There's two things. He wasn't easy to deal with. Sandy Alderson gave us a great story at the winter meetings. Like, when we were trading, it, we were, like, trying to get back from New York. Everybody wasn't totally on board, right? right? Like, like, that history doesn't get brought up. And number two is as much as he saw, he got caught a lot. Yeah, caught a lot. Like, you go back and look at the numbers, you go, wow. That's the thing about that 82. 130 steals. 42 caught stealings. 42 times he got caught. So that's 172 stolen base attempts. And he really didn't play in September. He missed like three weeks in September. Think about that. How many times he tried to run. No one's getting caught 42. Nobody's stealing 42 bases, let alone getting caught 42. No one has the energy to steal 42 bases. So that's what makes 1990 so special for him as a first half. So he had 80. How many did he have? 84 at the All-Star break. 84 at the And the All-Star break, folks, this is a late All-Star break. With the All-Star game being on the 19th, usually it's early July. It's like right after the 4th. Yeah, usually it's, it's, it's close to the 81 game mark. It's usually about the 85, 86 game marks, a little over. This one's stolen basic game. Basically. So that's what makes 1990 so amazing is before the break, he had 39 steals, but only four caught steals. Right now you're seeing this efficiency in the stolen base game. Oh, by the way, he also was hitting 335, which is the A's record for the first half of the season. 17 homers, 39 steals, 53 walks, only 30 strike. And he's Ricky. This was his MVP year. And this is as good as a leadoff hitter is going to be. In 1990, I mean, look at his final numbers, 325 average, second in the AL, 28 stole, uh, home runs as a leadoff hitter, 65 steals, 439 on base, over 1,000 OPS. You know, he beats out Cecil Fielder for the MVP, and this was Ricky at his best. And this is, what, 32-year-old Ricky and just dominating. It's truly one of the greatest years in the history of baseball. Yeah, especially from a leadoff hitter to see – the power, the speed, the ability to score runs, and the defense as well. Ricky, remember, was a left-handed thrower. Yeah. So his gloved hand is going to the line in left field. And Earl Weaver used to always talk about what an advantage that was for Ricky because he's not – you can't run on him. If you have a ball down the line, he's going to get to it fast enough because he doesn't have to backhand it. He can almost come in on it. He's going to not let you get to second base. And, you know, you you, you think about the power that back then, you know – that kind of power today. I mean, we get we get all pumped up for George Springer, and no offense, he's 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 had a lot of leadoff home runs. But you think the power for Ricky is pretty incredible for yeah. a leadoff hitter, and that's what the made consistency it so of it. Well, it made it so tough to pitch to him, right? Because if you did give him a cookie, he was going deep on you, right? And you can't walk him because if you walk him, he's going to steal second and possibly third. So what's your dilemma here? You just got to hope Ricky has a bad day, right? Otherwise, you're not getting him out, and he's going to score a run. Even old man Ricky, whether you want to talk about, I don't know, Dodger, Padre, Mariner, Red Sox, whatever, he still could, have, you know, have eleven bombs in a season. Yeah, and he was still a factor. You know, even with his Dodger gears with the Red Sox here, he was still a factor hitting home runs and stealing bases. Number four, this, you know, you, you kind of forget how good this guy was. He's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Fame person, Hall of Fame baseball player, and then you look at his numbers and you have to glance again. This is Dennis Eckersley. And Dennis Eckersley, again, another guy that had a great first half. But in 1992, that was his MVP and Cy Young year. And then the numbers, think about this. Before the All-Star break, he was 30 for 30 in saves. That's pretty amazing. He was the first ever to have 30 saves before the All-Star break. But 30 for 30 
Oh, and they also had two wins. Did they, did they do something on ESPN <laughs> for him? They definitely should. Five walks, 50 strikeouts. He had five walks and it was 30 a, appearances? In 37 games, he had 37, five 37, he had five walks. And that was My a bad God. year for him, five walks. 50 strikeouts. I mean, final numbers that year, he went 51 for 54 in saves. Uh, only 11 walks in 80 innings. A 7-1 record. So even when he blew the save, he'd get the win. Like when he had the, the streak before Balfour broke it, most consecutive saves, uh, in a game that Greg Jeffries tagged him to give the Royals a lead. Harold Baines hits a walk-off home runs, and that got the win. So he had a 7-1 record, 51 for 54. But that 30 for 30 in saves, 1992, the A's really weren't expected to do much. Um, and Still they were, one of the better teams, though. One of the better teams, but they were kind of Blue Jays injured. were coming. They didn't have Dave Stewart. Uh, I'm sorry, they still had Dave Stewart in his last year with them. They still had Bob Welch, but he was hurt. Um, they were still struggling with the pitching staff, but they won the AL West. And 30 for 30 in the first half by Dennis actually went a long way. Pretty amazing. 30 for 30. All right, number three. Another pitcher, and just, again, numbers I will blow you away. Vita Blue in 1971. Hey, he won the MVP and the Cy Young that year. I think we're seeing a theme. But before the break, which is the anniversary was today, was the All 71 All-Star game was on this date. When Reggie took it out of the park. When Reggie went off the tower. tower. The transformer in Detroit. Hank Aaron hit a homer. Everybody hit a homer in this game. Uh, but Vita Blue started that game. And based on these numbers in the first half, 22 starts, 17 and three, 1.42 ERA, 188 strikeouts and 184 and a third innings, six shutouts, 17 complete games, and a 179 opponent average. This comes after he started the first game of the season in Washington, D.C. The A's in 71 played their first game in D.C. It was a one-game series. He only lasted an inning and two-thirds and took the loss. And after that, he goes 17-2, and two, basically, in his next 21 starts. It makes me angry. Do, do I have to go to my scorebook last night? James <laughs> Caprillion, seven, seven, uh, 70 pitches, five innings. Did, I don't know. You probably haven't been listening to the show. But we did this uh, last night on TV. In 2000, the average pitcher threw 98.6 pitches in 2000. 2022, it's 84.6. What was Vita throwing in 1971? Yeah, he's throwing 130 to 140 pitches a game, especially with those strikeouts. I mean, think of 17 complete games and 22 starts. 17 complete games. And he's throwing the ball hard. There's no radar gun to tell you, but the hitters were telling you he was throwing harder than any other pitcher. Right. The blue blazer was coming at you. So he was not taking pitches off and he was dominating and he was able to go that long and he had a long career. Athletes today are supposed to be better than they were 40, 50 years ago. And track records will tell you that. Right. People were running faster. We're throwing longer. We're doing things better. But in baseball, we're, we're bringing guys. We're pulling them back. We're not letting them go to their full potential because we're afraid of injury. And we think less is more that we can get more out of them at a longer period of time. It's not proven true. out to be. It's not proven out. Because if you take away some of the off-field stuff with Vida, I mean, he, in a way, kind of has a borderline Hall of Fame career. 100%. And he was thought of as a Hall of Fame pitcher for almost the entirety of his career, from the A's to the Giants to the Royals back to the Giants. He kept making all-star teams because he was thought of as a Hall of Fame player because he kept putting up those numbers. Vida was, you know, was one of a kind. And that 71 season was, you know, obviously just ridiculous. And his era was you had to win 300 games. But tell you what, still one of the greatest guys. 
Oh, yeah. Vida Blue is one of the greatest guys ever. Number two. Number two, another rookie, and that's Mark McGuire's 1987. Now, McGuire had some great first half later in his career with the A's in 96 and 97. But in 87, I mean, we're talking this is no rookie had done this. 294 average, 33 homers before the break. Right? Rookie record. Before that, the most homers by a rookie before the All-Star break was 25. In 1950, by Al Rosen, McGuire had 33. Now it's been passed. There's only two other guys who had 30. And that's Aaron Judge in 2017 and Pete Alonso in 2019. Mark McGuire is still 33 as a rookie. Uh, and the other thing that he did was he made Oakland the place to be. And I still remember this: the, the weekend before the All Star break in '87, the A's were playing the Brewers, Brewers in the AL then, and the Coliseum is packed for every game. There's a Sunday game against the Brewers. There's 33,000 people there. And it's because of Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Boom. And that was the thing. You had the superstars that fans wanted to see. It was the place to be. And the Coliseum was just rocking. Now, this was the year the All-Star game was at the Coliseum. Right? And so everybody was excited because McGuire actually, you know, he's going to be in the All-Star game. And he gets introduced. The whole thing It's great. Uh, but the Coliseum, it just, it was superstars. It was superstars at the Coliseum. And it was amazing. Number one, I think we all know where you're going to go with this. This is uh, Reggie Jackson. And there's no doubt. This is 1969. This is young Reggie, right? This is second full season Reggie. There's no beard. There's no mustache. They've come from Kansas City. This is his hair is cut short. This is just Reggie, the ball player. This is his first half. 287, 37 home runs, (laughs) 24 doubles, 79 ribbies. The major league record for home runs before the break, 37, right? It's since been passed by Barry Bonds, 39 in 2001. Uh, but that's it. That's the only player who's yeah. had more. Uh, Maris before that in 61 and 33. So Roger Maris. So everybody's talking about Reggie make, breaking Roger Maris's record. He's on pace to fly by it. Fly by this 37 homers at the break. Yeah, that's We've never crazy. seen this. Cover of Sports Illustrated in the sweet A's uni. It was the best A's uni. Oh, looked good. Look good. Starting center fielder in the All-Star game at RFK Stadium. First of 14 oh, All-Star R- appearances. RF- RFK Stadium, the home of the Hogs. Back <laughs> in the day with the Washington Redskins and the great, the Hall of Famer Joe Gibbs. So the only unfortunate thing is the second half, the pressure got to Reggie. Maybe the only time pressure ever got to Reggie. And he's talked about it. I mean, the whole Maris chase. And this is 69. I mean, the media is, like you talked about earlier, it's not what it is today with social media and sports center and 24 hour news cycles. But even then the media was getting to him because it was every place he'd go. Roger Maris. Can you do it? Can you beat Roger Maris? What do you think? What do you think? You're going to Homer today, Reggie? The old newsman. So what you think? Can you beat Maris? Yeah. You know, every day. And he actually kind of broke out in hives. He struggled with it. He only had 10 home runs in the second half of that season. Harmon Killiver actually uh, passed him uh, for the season lead. Right. So, 37 home runs before the All-Star break. That still, to me, is unbelievable to think about. 37 from, from Reggie Jackson in Oakland at the Oakland Coliseum where the ball wasn't flying. No. And he had 37. No. That is truly amazing. I mean, you 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 would have thought set, he's the guy with that start could have got to 70. You know what? I think older Reggie probably would have. I think older, if 73 Reggie or 74 Reggie had done this, Reggie could have handled the media because he would have, you know – you talk about Reggie now and how boastful he would got and he would get big and the whole thing. He wasn't that way in 69. 69 changed him a little bit. 
And then by the time 72, 73 comes around, if this was Reggie hitting 37, Reggie's hitting seven. All right, your top 10. Top 10 first halves in Oakland history, Jose Canseco in 88, Mitchell Page in 77, Rob from an all-star game birth and the AL rookie of the year, uh, John Jaha in 99, Jason Giambi in 2000, Justin Dukesher in 2008, Ricky in 1990, Eck in 92, Vida in 71, Big Mac in 87, and Reginald Martinez Jackson, 1969, 37 home runs before the break. This is a this is like a a who's who's list in A's history. Yeah, it's a lot you know, of big names. You go through, you wonder why these guys were great players. Well, this this is one of the reasons why. Well, they have a good season. You don't really have to have a good first half. Good the the only except uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exception to that is Eric Chavez. Never had a good first half. Never Some made guys start out slow. Just never put it together early in the year. Never got into people, and then would turn it on the second half. One of the few guys that would never had a good first half. Um, yeah, I noticed looking down at my scorebook that you didn't have any of uh, this year's A's. Well, unfortunately, um, no, no, no. Maybe next year. Uh, you got to hope. You're looking for people to get better. You're looking for progression. You're going to have guys who got opportunities. You would like to see a guy get hot. That's what really what the A's need at this moment. We're seeing a little bit with Sean Murphy, right? He's been been hot now for a Chad week. Chad Pender, play him. You gotta, you know, Chad Pender doesn't walk. His at bat before that, he let him walk you. We got eight walks all year. I, let him walk you. Maybe if he played every day. Maybe, but you do. You're looking for someone to get hot and carry this team. Murphy might be that guy right now, which would be nice. This is what we saw in spring training. Spring training, it was on fire. Who's killing them all? And this is reminding Shorten me of Shortened swing, said he didn't want to strike out, yeah. and then all of a sudden. Right center field becomes an option. You're starting to see the ball go that way. The A's can get somebody, a linchpin in that offense. It's just going to lift everybody else up, and you're going to hopefully see some other guys start swinging the bats a little bit. You are the last guest on A's Cast Live for the first half. Wow. This is our last show. So how did I do? Do I get like a first half award? Cody, what do we uh, what do we got for him? Uh, I love the list, first of all, and I'm shocked that there's no ace from this year on there. Um, not Paul Blackburn, AJ He's Puck. Not into 2022. AJ Puck. AJ Puck had a good first half. Uh, Paul Blackburn has the best road ERA in all of Major League Baseball at 128. Okay, he, could, he couldn't. His five Okay, so how about next time we do fir- first half road performances in Oakland A's history? <laughs> <laughs> see and then see what the A's need We to want do. people to listen to Ace Cast Cody. Is Blackburn only starts on the road and Cole Irvin only starts at home. You have the perfect oh. picture right there. There it is. <laughs> do, you, well, do we have anything for him? Uh, I don't have anything. You're the one that's sitting right next to him. Do you have a ball or something you can sign for him? I don't work here. This is I'm like I I, I this is a road game for me. I'm like Paul Blackburn <laughs> on the road today in Texas. <laughs> They can't wait to get me out of here. Well, well, we'll come up with something. I maybe a um, a signed trident by Cody, a ride the wave trident. Oh, remember the tridents? I love the trident. How'd that work out? Look at that. Yeah, there you. Maybe get you a signed trident or something. I would have very much enjoy a signed trident. Yeah, we got to start having parting gifts here for you. Come on, Ace Cast Live. This, you know, um, our great friend Ray Fossey, yeah. right? Because he used to always have stuff to give away. <laughs> Fossey. You go back into his closet. You walk out with the Arcos golf meters for your clubs. You'd have like it was amazing. Men's warehouse coupons, which yeah. were great. No, he was unbelievable. And the candy, you always had the candy back there. He'd give you that closet was. I think 
when they clean it out, they found like all these giveaways still that they can give out to, to guests. So I think that's something you need to do. Little guest giveaways. You know what? We're on, as Dave Cavill would say, I'm on it. On we it. will make that happen. You mean a lot to us here on A's Cast. Thank it's you, awesome stuff. This is it, right? Cody, we're done? Yeah, real quick, a couple things. Uh, the great Roxy Bernstein will be in doing A's Total Access, brought to you by? Chevron. Real quick, Julio Rodriguez is doing the home, the home run derby. Does that do anything for you? Yes. Okay. There's I some, want to see that. I'm yeah. excited to see that. Um, you know you know, do more for me? Julio Rodriguez played for the A's. Yeah, that's true. Uh, ten- get a, how do you get a Julio Rodriguez? Can we get one of these? We tried with Lazarito. Didn't work. There yeah, are there are ten. This is this this is mind blowing. There are ten players for the Royals who cannot play in Toronto in their next series. Ten. They have ten on ten. Yeah. And well, their best player. Yeah, Andrew Benintendi's one of them. Our good friend Two Hit Wit is one of them. Yeah. Like, well, how many guys missed in, from Philly? There was like four or five. Yeah, but um, four. And uh, Passon had there was twenty five guys all year so far, and the Royals have ten already. You could this could play in if if let's just say Toronto does make you know they fire their manager today, but if Toronto makes a move and they're in the playoffs and they go deep in the playoffs, this could be a really big story. Well, they brought it up like Andrew Benatendi, right? He's a trade candidate. He's having a great year, but if you're an ALE's team, you're not trading for him because he can't go to Toronto. That's it kills you. He, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Vax thing, but but come on. Well, well, apparently, apparently, our, Witt our said, left-hander Kirby Snead, we were told by Dan Schulman, great voice of the Blue Jays, was one of the reasons why he was thrown in the trade. Interesting. Uh, one of, one of the things that I saw, um, someone had the quote from Whit Merrifield out there. He said that he told the team if he got traded, he would consider getting vaccinated to play for a contender to go into Toronto. But he wouldn't do it for his own team. No, that's what the quote was. I saw. Last thing, Ken Rosenthal tweeted out earlier. Uh, saying how Frankie would return this weekend. Now Ken saying, change of plans, Frankie will not pitch this weekend. Apparently Frankie wants to throw two more side sessions and join the team's rotation the first day of the All-Star break. Nothing so from that's our side. By Ken, not, 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 not from our people and That's what Ken – I saw That's all from Ken Rosenthal, yes. He had something this morning, and then he just had that a little bit ago. All right. Well, everybody, enjoy Roxy Bernstein. Enjoy A's and Rangers. And for A's Cast Live, we'll see you after the break. Everybody, have a great break. Enjoy. Be safe. Take time off from baseball, and then we'll get ready for the second half. But thank you, everybody, for your support, whether you're listening on A's Cast Live or you're watching YouTube or Twitter. Thank you so much. Be well. We'll see you after the break. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. Great news! Our indoor dining is back, along with our beautiful patio dining. Come taste our world-famous chicken pie that has been served in Southern California for 83 years. The Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek has one of the most dynamic menus, plus a full bar. 
pot pies, gourmet burgers, sandwiches, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget, we still do takeout and delivery. For all the information, go to chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.